Welcome to the Russian Rulers History Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schaus. Episode number three, Yaroslav the Wise to the End of Kievian Dominance. Last episode, we talked about the battle between the sons of Vladimir the Great to become the new Grand Prince of Vlieki Kinyes. At the end, only two brothers remained, Mstislav and Yaroslav. For two years they fought, with Mstislav's army eventually proving victorious, forcing Yaroslav to give him all the land east of the Dnieper River after negotiating a truce. Subsequently, the two joined together to take back land lost to Poland because of Sviatopolk. In 1031, they trounced the Poles and enslaved many of their people. Five years later, in 1036, Mstislav died on a hunting trip, allowing Yaroslav to consolidate his authority and reunite the lands of the Rus. Destroying the Pechenegs, scourge of the Russian steppes, was a major focus for Yaroslav, which he never quite accomplished, although he did diminish their threat by brokering a peace with them that lasted for almost 25 years. From there, he turned inwards, focusing on domestic policies which earned him the title of Yaroslav the Wise. One of his major achievements on this front is the promotion of the first code of laws in Russia, known as Ruskaya Pravda, or Russian Truth. Yaroslav was also a truly pious man who lavished great deals of money on the churches, determined to mirror the glamour and glitter of Constantinople. Icons are a mainstay of any Russian Orthodox Church, and it was during Yaroslav's reign that the practice of icon-making began. He wanted his grand city of Kiev to rival Constantinople, which, while never accomplished, did succeed in impressing many foreign travelers. Yaroslav also saw the installation of the first Russian Metropolitan, or head of the church, helping to lessen the influence of Byzantium and the Greeks. The marketplace in Kiev was as diverse and large as any in the world, marking this as the zenith of Kievian Rus. So influential was Kiev that other countries' rulers began making royal marriage deals with Yaroslav. He himself married a Swedish princess. His sister married the king of Poland, and his daughters married the kings of France, Hungary, and Norway. A son married a Byzantine princess, and the other four married daughters of Russian princes. This practice would not return to Russia until the time of Peter the Great, some 650 years in the future. Yaroslav also promoted a somewhat democratic institution known as a vetch. A vetch was an assembly of all free men who could remove the local ruling prince if it so desired. A vetch meeting could be called at any by any member at any time. But one glaring problem with this system is that all decisions needed to be agreed upon unanimously, which often caused the assemblies to denigrate into violent confrontations amongst rival factions. The most powerful of the vetches was in Novgorod, which maintained its power into the 15th century until finally being crushed by Ivan the Terrible. Yaroslav was also the last of the rulers to maintain a link to the Viking heritage started by Rurik. 
His Norse name was Yarislief. And in the Norse sagas, he was given the name Yarislief the Lame, which came from an arrow wound. This legend, though, was confirmed when his body was exhumed in the 1930s by Soviet researchers. It is at this point in Yaroslav's life, having reformed Russian government, he set his sights on life after death. He had seen the fighting amongst brothers firsthand, and he wanted to avoid it at all costs. The problem with the Kievian succession order was that, unlike most of Europe, when it went from father to son, in Kiev it could go to a brother, an uncle, a nephew. So, what Yaroslav came up with is a plan to hand the throat of Kievan Novgorod to his eldest son, Zyasoslav, upon his death. Next in the line was Sviatoslav, by being named Prince of Chernogov. Then came Vesvolod of Perislav, followed by Vyacheslav of Smolensk, and last, Igor, the youngest son getting Vladimir of Volnia. Each of the sons was given a principality to rule upon after his death, which kind of angered the sons of the princes who were already in those cities. Uh, they thought they would inherit their father's principalities. And since that went to the brothers, oh well. When Yaroslav died in 1054, this complex and flawed system was to plunge Kiev into its death spiral. Even though Yaroslav forced his younger sons to pledge allegiance and loyalty to the oldest brother, Yasislav, that didn't last very long, as Yasislav was no real leader. Quickly, both Sviatoslav and Vesvolod broke their word after their father died. Moreover, a new threat emerged on the steppe, a Turkic tribe named the Polovitsi or Kumans. In 1073, Yasislav was overthrown by Sviatoslav and Vesvolod, with the elder of the two assuming the name of Sviatoslav II until his death in 1076. Yasislav wasn't done, though, as he wanted his throne back, so he made a deal with the Poles and marched on Kiev. Vesvolod escaped, and when Yasislav died two years later, he returned. And from here, it gets downright crazy. Vyacheslav, you remember him, the fourth son and ruler of Smolensk? Well, he really screws things up by dying before his older brother, Vesvolod, because Yaroslav said that his kingdom went to whoever was the oldest of the remaining brothers. The sons of Vyacheslav were none too happy, as they believed they would inherit the principality. When Vesvolod dies in 1093 as the last of Yaroslav's sons, Sviatopolk, eldest son, of the eldest son, Yasislav, takes the throne, much to the dismay of the people of Kiev. They turn instead to Vladimir Monomak, another son of Vesvolod. Despite the people begging him to become Grand Prince, Vladimir turned them down. He saw a more dangerous enemy that needed attention, the Kumans who were ravaging the countryside. Since the many princes were either too weak or busy quarreling with each other, there was no cooperative ability to turn back the invaders. Vladimir Monomak decided to call a congress of all the princes, all grandsons and great-grandsons of Yaroslav. The first order of business was to change the secession plan for each state. They decided that the throne would be passed from father to son of each principality. 
Vladimir had hoped that this would finally bring peace to the Russian people so they could concentrate on the real enemies. But alas, this was not to occur just yet. Prince David ambushed and blinded Prince Vasiliko in another dispute about territory and power. This led to the banishment of David by Sviatopolk II because of the pressure put on him by Vladimir. When the Second Congress of Princes convened, Vladimir Monomak rallied the troops from the combined forces and beat back the Cumans in three decisive battles in 1101, 1103, and finally driving them off in 1111. During this time, Sviatopolk II continued to annoy and anger both the nobles and the people of Kiev. Kievian Vech even tried to ouster him, but to no avail. But as fate would have it, in 1113, Sviatopolk II died. According to the rules of the first Congress of Princes, the eldest son was to become the Grand Prince, but everyone wanted Vladimir Monomakh to assume the throne. Again, he declined, not wanting to thrust his country into another internecine war. This time, the people rioted. The common people blamed government officials, the boyars, and the Jews as plotters against Vladimir. The rioting got so bad that the noble boyars and the church begged him to accept. He did and immediately imposed financial reform to relieve the people of the enormous debt Sviatopolk had laid upon them. Vladimir then took the name of Vladimir II, but he was already 61, which was an advanced age for the time. Having led troops through over 80 battles, he was starting to wear down. Amazingly, though, he ruled for another 12 years, through a time some called the Golden Age of Kiev. For the remainder of his rule, Vladimir II used his skills as a brilliant military mind and great organizer to rebuild Kievian influence over the land. His biggest obstacle, though, was to the north, Novgorod. The city of Novgorod had become a true powerhouse, both in trade and militarily. The prince of the town had little but ceremonial power. The Vetch ruled the principality. It was their stubborn independence that spelled doom for the once great city of Kiev. The sheer will of Vladimir II kept the deterioration at bay throughout his life, and as well as his successor son, Mstislav I, who took over with his father's death in 1125. Now, very little is known about Mstislav, except that he was able to keep Kiev in a central role in the governments of, governance of Russia. But when he died in 1132, the end of Kievian influence was near. Yaropolk II took the younger brother of, or who was the younger brother of Mstislav, took over and ruled for another seven tumultuous years. Fighting amongst the many principalities and the return of the Cuman threat laid a dark cloud over his reign. On his death, we begin even more interfamily fighting that led to a succession of rulers too numerous, short-lived, and inconsequential to discuss at length. The Yacheslav gave way to Vesvolad, who was followed by Igor, and finally Yasislav II in 1146. For over eight years, Yasislav fought the prince of Vladimir Suzdal, Yuri Dolgeruki, or Yuri Longarms, 
whose family we shall hear of often in the history of Russia. Yasislav used our old friends the Peshenegs and Yuri Akumins to go back and forth over who had control of Kiev. In 1154, Yasislav was killed, and Yuri took over as Grand Prince. In the coming years, Yuri, who was the sixth son of Vladimir Monomak, went about solidifying his power bases. In 1156, he went to a little backwater town called Moscow, which he turned into a powerful outpost complete with walls and a moat. While Moscow undoubtedly had already existed as a small enclave, Yuri is considered to be the father of Moscow, and his actions here would have caused the center of Russian influence to gradually move from Kiev to Moscow in the coming decades. Within three years of capturing the Grand Prince throne of Kiev, Yuri Dolgeruki was dead. Rioting immediately broke out at the news of his death, and many of his relatives and advisors were murdered. His tomb and savior church in Berestovo, Kiev, is empty, suggesting that his body was pulled out of his coffin and, according to legend, thrown into the wind. The Vetch of Kiev named Mstislav II as Grand Prince, which was then followed by a list of weak and battered leaders. In 1169, Yuri Dolgeruki's son, Andrei Bogolyubsky, revenged his father's disinterment, and as the prince of Suzdal and Rostov, he sacked and burned Kiev to the ground. Those citizens not killed were sold into slavery. Kiev was never to be a power again. Next episode, we begin our podcast with Andrei Bogolyubsky and the arrival of a fierce nomadic tribe that was to plunge Russia into its own devastating dark age. We bring in the Mongols. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're interested, you can download the Russian Rulers iPhone app for a small fee. Also, please visit the podcast website, RussianRulersHistory.com, or become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History, where you can leave a comment, make a suggestion, ask a question. And here's a question that's been asked to me. What are those last words in Russian mean? What that means is goodbye and thank you very much. There's your lesson in Russian. Again, до свидания и спасибо большое.